This is Jimmy Bullard, a.k.a. The Bulldog, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Pens galore, a fantastic result for us the other night, which gives a fair amount of breathing space from the drop. And while we had yet another game of two halves when it came to our performances, we arguably looked the sharper team. However, all that's been ignored as a Monday night game on Sky, under the lights, is a match that needs its headlines. And for this one, it happens to be VAR. That's a huge problem when the team you want to win loses. Uh, A catalogue of bad decision, perhaps, but something I personally, spitefully, don't give many figs about because it's nice when the infernal video replay machine and match officials finally give something back to us. We'll discuss this game, penalties, points deductions, transfers and other bits and bobs with Messrs Messrs. Tristan Pottericic, Sam Diamond, Luke Sarge-Sargent and myself, J-Mac, on your Fulham Focus podcast. Fulham. Right, it's um, it's it's really nice to have three of you guys here today. I think it's it's good to way of celebrating our first win since I think I think it was the seventh of October against Sheffield United, our first league win. Anyway, um, I'll go to whoever I see on the screen first. Luke, uh, Sarge, I don't know why I called you Luke. Everyone calls you Sarge. So, how are you doing, mate? And uh, what are your thoughts on this very good big result? Yeah, it's a big big three points, three co-hosts for three big points. Um, we just we needed it. We needed to create a bit of daylight, didn't we? And it was nervy. It was not the most fun watch, um, but it was the it was the result we needed, and that was that was all that mattered really. I think it just puts us in a position now where we can breathe again. It takes a little bit of pressure off the next game. Every yeah. win does that. It takes a little bit of pressure off Liverpool. We don't have to go to Anfield now and, and get something. If we do, it's a bonus. We can just reset again. We've got that. We've got that gap, and we just push on. I, I don't know how much it, it tells us in terms of how we go forward because I don't think we were I don't think we were good enough to sort of suggest, yeah, we're gonna be fine this season, but the points yeah. on the board is what matters at this point. I mean I was feeling quite nervous about this game, like usual, but I felt that this game really for me I mean I created maybe too much of a narrative in my head that this this game would sort of define if we're going to be all right this season, if we're going to be comfortably mid-table or not, or if we're going to struggle a bit. Um, Tristan, I'll go to you next, mate. I just Your thoughts. I mean, were you quite nervous about this result? Or were you thinking a win, a loss or a draw? It doesn't really matter for much. Oh, no. I, I, I think it was a, I think it was an, a really... You know, we could point back to this at the end of the season. It could well be one of our most important results. I think it... You know, we haven't been in great form. I, I've, I've been to pretty much every game this season and and I sit there in away ends and the home end just thinking we don't really ever look like scoring really I I, I think we we, we show a lot of good attacking intent and we get into the right places but the final ball's not great the movement of the strikers isn't great And and I thought actually the thing that really encouraged me yesterday was the fact that we started both halves really really sharply and really fast and that's been a big problem is we've started games slowly, consistently this season. There's been very few where we've actually started well. And I think we did that yesterday. Yeah, first half we did kind of seed that. And, and I think Wolves grew into the game and, and probably deserved their equaliser. But mm. on the on the, on the the balance of it, again, I thought, you know, we didn't kind of go into our shells. I think we, we, we kept coming forward. We've, we've been... I wouldn't say lucky with the decisions. I think, you know, we, we might come on to that a little bit more, but I think absolutely there's been way, way more outrage over these than than, than has been anywhere near necessary. I think both of the penalties mm. were coin toss decisions. I think you see them given. I think you don't see them given, but in no way were they the catastrophic referee and VAR errors that the media seem to be portraying in this desperation to create a poor, poor old Wolves narrative. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 actually, I thought the only the only really clear cut decision the referee got wrong was probably not to send Vinicius off, who's who seems to be going <laughs> games of game trying to get himself sent off. And there was a Indeed. conversation on Twitter last night about that, where someone said, you know, he's he's a bit of a head case. And I said, I don't think it's that at all. I just think he's bang average, and he gets frustrated with pretty much spending most of the game in the defender's pocket, and 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 he's lashing out because he's frustrated. He's not getting that many minutes, so. Look, on the balance of it, I think we probably edged it. Um, I wouldn't read too much into the decisions. I think that they, 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 yeah, they probably slightly favoured us. But I'd be looking as a Wolves fan more, uh, you know, on both incidents. What on earth are the, the defenders doing 
hanging the legs out where they did and and you know William nice to see someone actually take a penalty properly as well so more positives than negatives from from me Jay Mac yeah nice one and, and, and Sam I think I mean you're opening thoughts but we can also marry that with just the main takeaway at the moment well the main takeaway from the media which is what Tristan was alluding to with the uh the countless well with, I'm sure what Wolves would say countless decisions that went against them um j- just because I, I don't know I, I didn't really realize that Wolves had had such a hard time with VAR until I saw this uh well after, after I heard about this game and then you've got people like Jason Cundy on TalkSport looking at the last the last penalty given for the tackle on Harry Wilson saying that's never a penalty I mean it's it seems a bit of a circus out there at the moment doesn't it in terms of what people yeah, I'm not sure there's much more to add after what Tristan said. We may as well just wrap it up now. Um, well, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think, I mean, the way it's been been blown out of proportion is, is staggering. And yeah, I think it comes down to two things. One, that it was a live game on the television on, on Monday evening. And mm. two, it's because we were playing Wolves and they've had some, some, it's fair to say, they've had some, been on the raw end of some pretty poor decisions this season. So I think, those coupled together has made it this big story overnight and today. Um, if it say if those exactly the same decisions had occurred home to Crystal Palace on a Saturday, I don't think anyone would have been talking about it past well Saturday evening. If that, I mean, it would have just sort of faded into into obscurity with everything else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the punditry reaction it's all very similar in a way to to sort of how the the Mitrovic fallout after Old Trafford escalated. I thought just. As I say, no, no real football stories, and it's just people working each other up, and mm. it was very strange because, again, I, I, I agree with Tristan in terms of those incidents. The only one that I thought the VAR got wrong was not taking further action against Vinicius, but everything else, I, I, I have to agree with, and I think if the first penalty isn't given, then I don't think VAR overturn it. I don't think there's enough in terms of sort of their remit and the, the clear and obvious areas to overturn it. But as it was given on field, I definitely think there's contact despite um, the defender getting some of the ball. So, yeah, I, I think because it's Wolves, because it was on the television, this is this is where we're at today. And mm. it kind of just takes a little bit away from what is, if not an excellent performance, an excellent win for our season. I agree. I mean, Sarge, we were saying just uh, before on the group before you were making a point, like pretty much what Sam's making, that it's all been a bit um, overemphasized. And I just, if you had any further points to make in, uh, to do with that, because I mean, Gary O'Neill, I, I feel like there's a lot, I don't know, there's a kind of, kind of a Scott Parker English manager effect going on where the media love what you're saying. Oh, it's just so lovely how, how honest and how candid he's being with his thoughts. But I'm just saying, if. You wouldn't, you wouldn't care if these decisions went the other. If the shoe was on the other foot, he wouldn't be saying all this. You know what I mean? I think it's really irresponsible of the media. Like we always hear about, oh, you know, respect the ref, and you know, we got to make sure that referees are protected, and all of the protection of the ref after the Mitrovic incident last season, and then they come out with all this stuff about, oh, it's a disgraceful decision. How's he given a penalty there? What are they seeing? They're making too many mistakes. They're not good enough. You're just inviting that you know, that conflict again, it, it doesn't make any sense. They're just constantly, it's just constant hypocrisy, essentially. They, they At one point, they're saying respect the ref. At the other point, they're basically tearing the referees down. And it well, just felt it's, like it's, it was... Sorry, Sarge. It's, it's a lack of consistency, isn't it, mate? Because, like, not being funny, Silver's made comments like that a couple of times and ended up with a match ban. So, you yeah, know, yeah, O'Neill's this heroic honest you know down-to-earth bloke and it's is is what's the difference in what he's come out with after yesterday to, to what silver said about you know referees when they've had shockers against us so I'd, yeah I, i'm with you mate i think there's, there's a real lack of consistency there. i thought it was quite interesting the way he came out and he said you know there's two ways i can go about this it's this respect the decisions or i can start making noise and i think in a way by him sort of saying that it's it's bringing attention to the fact that Wolves have been on some on the end of some bad decisions or or been unfortunate in in decisions not going their way, and you just wonder will that be in the minds of officials 
in sort of later games, almost like what Liverpool did after the the Tottenham match where they had that goal wrongly disallowed and they made a big noise about it and you just sort of felt that they were getting the 50-50 decisions for a couple of weeks after that. I think I think Gary O'Neill's quite shrewd. I, know, I think he knows what he's doing there with those post-match comments. especially It's, it's the oldest trick in the book, isn't it? Yeah. Fergie. Fergie used to do it all the time. Spotlight things, spotlight a certain player on the opposition team so that referees are then watching that player. And then, lo and behold, 20 minutes into the game, that player makes a tackle. They get booked. They're now on eggshells for the rest of the game and United have an easier ride. I, don't, I didn't have a problem with anything Gary O'Neill said. I thought he spoke really well. He's doing what he's supposed to do. His job is to get the best possible outcomes for his football club. And so him saying that, that's what that was. That's him now, intentionally or not, influencing the future decisions for his football club to get the best possible result. And he will feel hard done by it. And any manager, after they give away two penalties in the same game, is probably going to find a way to disagree with at least one of them. Mm. Like, I didn't have a problem with anything he said. I think he spoke well. But for the me- I think the media are the ones that are like fueling mm. this. Like, I'd, I expect the opposition manager to come out and say they're soft penalties. I expect that. That's going to happen. Marco Silva said that their penalty was soft. And I don't really think it was. It, it seemed like a fairly clear-cut penalty. But that's what you're supposed to say as the manager. But yeah. the media are the ones fueling it and pushing it and really, like, you know, they, they wouldn't let him speak about anything else. All of the questions were about it. And it just, I don't know, it just felt a bit weird. I think the game wasn't overly exciting other than those penalties. There wasn't a lot of quality on display from either side. So maybe they just didn't have anything else to talk about. And on Monday Night Football, they've got a whole hour of TV to fill after the final whistle's gone. Oh, I can talk about Freddie Lumbo's career some more. <laughs> yeah, I that was that was just so annoying, wasn't it? As soon as you saw the lineup of Freddie Lundberg with uh, Jerry Carrot, you just knew F- it was former just Fulham and Wolves legend Freddie Lundberg. Yeah, fantastic, absolutely brilliant. I did notice that uh, O'Neill did take a little bit longer coming out with his uh, his you know interview than than normally expected from a manager. Maybe he planned quite calculating wise, like you're saying there. So he was in of... with the ref, wasn't he? He was in the ref room oh, having his discussion, was. his uh, honest honest discussion. Well, am I right in saying that, I mean, I think it was, oh, what's his name? I can't bear the guy. I can't, he's one of the talk sport people. And he said that apparently it's been confirmed to Gary O'Neill that Tim Ream should have been sent off. Vinicius should have been sent off. And I just want to go to that. Tim Ream getting a second yellow. Do we do we think that should have happened? No, Huang's going away from the goal. He's not even going towards goal. I thought it was a silly foul from Ream, to be honest. But I don't think it's a yellow card. It's not a yellow card offence. Um, no. It's not, it's not a denial of a goal scoring opportunity. So I don't think there was any further reason to give anything more than a penalty. Right. And in terms of the Tom Kearney pen, the first one, I mean, it is soft, but I mean, how many times have we seen soft pens given this season? And I just feel like it's completely, I think there's actually some consistency there. Yeah. I think it's, you know, a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit weak, but I mean, we've seen it so many times and sure on the other foot, I would just ask you, Tristan, do you think we'd be as angry because we've been on the, we've been on such bad side of these decisions before. I mean, talk about, you know, two handballs for West Ham last season or Darwin Nunes's uh, dive or Kevin De Bruyne's, you know, dive in the box. I just, something about it just makes me feel like, you know, I I couldn't care less. Well, yeah, there is an element of that, but like I say, I just don't think either of them were that, that obvious errors and I, the, the way I'd look at it actually you know talk about looking at it from the other way I'd look at it from you know if, if you were a Wolves fan and you know you, you you had that chance and you weren't given the penalty you'd probably be pissed off there right so I mm. think I think that that, that the, the bottom line is you are sometimes going to get these 50-50 coin I call them coin toss decisions where yeah. it can go either way depending on perspective and and and, and both of them just happen to fall our way um, with, with the penalties, the, the yeah, I don't. I, I think, as as I say, it, it's fans will react to those sort of different, you, you know, de, uh, decisions. If they've gone against them, they won't like it. And I think you'll you, you'll always see that. I've I've seen hundreds of them over the years with with Fulham, um, and and I'm sure any fan that goes regularly to see their side as, as can say the same. It's yeah. it's, it's not. It's not this great big story. No. Just thinking about Gary O'Neill being in with the referee for so long and uh, the referee finally admitting that, oh, I should have sent off Tim Ream and Carlos Vinicius. But that just has the sort of vibes. You know when you have an argument with your partner and they're just going on at you? and you Just, just get think, out. Oh, so, <laughs> yeah, okay, you, you were right there. You were right. Sorry. Just to get them out. It's, uh, I, that's what's happened. 
Right, lads, so what we'll do is we'll move on to the highlights of our win that aren't related to any controversies with VAR or referees or match bills and the like. Um, I think we should move to the man of the match performance from Tom Kearney. Uh, There's just... I, I really, really, really enjoy Tom Kearney at the moment. I mean, I know he's been one of our best and most like promising players for a very long time, but I actually saw a tweet from someone saying how he is now this... He really suits being quite a, an experienced player, and I, I enjoy him being in this role of someone who just he just provides I think Marco Silva said just such calmness on the ball and, and confidence and it just he has this really wonderful swagger about him and I just I just want to talk about his performance so if, if anyone would like to kick us off with that I'll go to you actually Sam. Yeah he was magnificent and um, again it dispelled sort of that idea that he's unable to play 90 minutes in the Premier League okay he's probably not able to do that on a regular basis but certainly for games like that He's um, such a great asset to be able to to bring in. I just I think he's one of those players that when he he retires, we will will look back and really appreciate him. Just appreciate watching him because he's he's just so good on the ball. He he somehow finds space and has more room than any other player. And yeah, he's just been a a great servant, and it's it's really sort of. Wonderful that he's able to produce performances like that at this level, and finally sort of show that this is sort of the, you know, the, the, his caliber. I saw a tweet last night. Actually, it might have been from from John Clark of the Focus, basically saying how in 2018 he was the best midfielder in the Championship, ahead of Madison and ahead of Grealish. And mm, it's, point, it's sort yeah. of it's been a sort of a shame that he's sort of not you know spoken about in those terms anymore. But I think injuries have obviously. You know, got the better of him at times in the last few years, but yeah, as I say, he's still able to show that he he uses quality at times. He's one of those players, isn't he? If you speak to fans of teams that have generally been in the championship in our championship years, they'll tell you how good he is. The fans of opposition Premier League teams don't really realise just how good Tom Kearney has been for such a long time, um, because. As Sam said, injuries. Any time we've been in the Premier League, he's not really been. He's not had a proper Premier League season, has he, in his career? And it's the one thing that sort of stands out. He's never been able to see a season through in the Premier League. That first season we came up, he got injured quite early on. Um, you know, he's just never been able to hold a level of form. And under Parker, he got injured early in the season. Then he came back. Then he got injured again in December. Didn't play again for the rest of that season. He's just never been able to find any consistency at this level, but he's always had the ability and he's shown that in the championship consistently. I've got friends that support the likes of Preston and, you know, he's been, he was at Blackburn and Blackburn fans will tell you how good he was for them and how good he's been since he left and how much they wish they could have kept him. He's always been a level above that. And I think now we're seeing, because we're having to manage him a bit more, we're getting to see him in fits and spurts rather than seeing him for maybe two to three weeks and then not seeing him for nine months. We're seeing him periodically and it seems to be working for him because, you know, while he can play 90 minutes, as Sam said, I don't think he's going to be able to do that on a weekly basis. But he's at a point now where he has to be in the team when we're playing these sorts of games. Those home games where we need to win, he has to be on the pitch because he he brings something that no one else is bringing. He brings that creativity, that control. Mm. His technical ability is is unmatched really within the team. We we need we need him at, at this point in time where we don't have goal scorers. We don't seem to be able to do a lot in midfield in terms of making things happen. There's a lot of hustle and bustle. There's a lot of hard work. He has that X factor, and we need it right now more than yeah. we ever have probably. He's arguably I I don't think I've seen him. I mean, this probably comes to the point of where I made where I said you know I like seeing an experienced version of him, Tristan. But he seems really quite savvy and, and quite a clever player now. Like for instance, winning the winning the tackle, uh, you know, for the penalty, and and of course actually making a tackle in the build up for one of our goals. Yeah, he he he's I, Kenny's an interesting one for me because I think he always looks absolutely top of his game and and like a, a, almost you know a world beater when he's in he, he, he the, the the formation's right for him and I, I i think about that johansson mcdonald's you know partnership and that oh, was that, that just Trinity, worked, loved it it just worked so well with him and i think sometimes he can go a little bit missing when he doesn't have the right setup around him um i think yesterday 
uh, the, every, everything everyone said about that composure and the the ability to keep the ball, I think was you know Reed was losing the ball every couple of minutes, and actually, so having <laughs> having Kearney sat there and 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 being able to slow it down, keep the ball, you know, use the ball properly, worked really well. But but one thing I noticed yesterday, which I hope we see more of, is that there were some really nice little interlinks with with him in Iwobi, especially. And actually, although I don't think Pereira had a great game, I think he worked well with 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 Kearney, and I think. You know, I'm I'm quite hopeful that you could you you could kind of potentially well for what four weeks until we sell him to Bayern, see you know a Polina, Kearney, Pereira midfield, and 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 that do you know a bit of damage. I think that 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 that's probably the best three that we can put out there at the moment. And I'd have Is Tom Kearney going to Bayern as well. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'd have the same wingers with with that that we had again. There was some lovely interlinks with with, with William, especially second half right in front of where I was sat, I you know, saw a lot of that. So I think those those players around him are always important for Kearney. Um but agree with everything everyone said and 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 it is it is really nice to see him getting that chance to if not play week in, week out, you know, he is getting regular football and 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 clearly is one of our our players that can impact a game. I I actually think the Pereira link up I'm not convinced by it because I thought that in the first half, we played a lot down the right-hand side. Um, or not just down the right hand we, we played a lot wide. Um, and Iwobi it, it and Pereira were switching. And they were kind of... Pereira would go wide, Iwobi would drift in. But Kearney played quite a reserved role in that first half. He sat a lot deeper. He didn't really get on the ball in the opposition half very much. Second half, we played a lot more through the middle. Um, and that brought him into the game a bit more. And then... Actually, Iwobi, I thought, had less impact second half. He wasn't as in the game. Um, he had his moments. He, he went through. He probably should have scored. But mm. aside from that, I don't really remember him having any key moments. And that sort of stood out. He, he didn't have any what they call key passes in the game, which is not common for him. He's been registering one or two every game he's played um, when he plays through the middle. And also second half, because we didn't play so wide... There were, and this I only know this because I had a bet on on the number of throw-ins in the second half. Number of throw-ins <laughs> in the second half dropped so dramatically. There was something like twenty-six throw-ins in the first half, and it dropped below fifteen in the second half. And I was right. fuming because I needed more. Um, <laughs> but but we played through the. We're gonna have to have an intervention that. here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what Tristan's saying though does make sense in that if if this formation is set up for Kearney, he can have a real impact. And then if it's but if it's not really working to his strengths, he can kind of drift in and out of the game. I think first half he didn't really get into the game much, but second half, when we started to play to his strengths, he really took control of the game, took charge of it, and was making things happen pr- pretty regularly, really. I mean, it's interesting you say about the Iwobi chance, because actually, I mean, I don't know how clear it was on, on the telly, but certainly light and it was up our end. Yeah. There was a really, really easy ball onto Kearney who was unmarked. I, I saw it, yeah. and, and 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 Kearney, you see, Kearney, Kearney was sort of running towards me, as it, and he just, just had his hands complete, in the air, didn't he? Complete exasperation on his face because the the ball was. I mean, it was such an easy ball, and and that probably kills the game. Actually, that was a two yeah, one. So two yeah, one. Was, but I I I I thought I quite liked Iwobi yesterday. I thought he he. He's got an interesting mix of he's busy. He's 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 quite. You know, strong. He, he he's occasionally his first touch is terrible, which is really funny because he's a skillful player. But sometimes he's got that kind of Dixon a two who first touch. It's it's a real. He's got this really weird mix. I I I find him quite endearing to watch. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm a massive Awobi fan. I, I think he's brilliant, but I just think he has to play through the middle. I, I don't yeah. think you get what you need from him when he plays out wide and. I think it was good that he was able to switch with Pereira. That's how he scored the goal in the first half because he drifted in, Pereira went wide mm. and he's able to get into the box and get on the end of things. But I think if he's stuck out wide, which he was a bit second half, you, you don't get what he brings. I'd actually like to see a midfield three of Polina, Iwobi and Kearney. I don't think Pereira's doing enough at the moment to, to maintain a starting spot. Yeah, I think it's worth adding as well that it was a really well taken finish. It wasn't just a sort of tap in to to end a flowing move. He the ball was going slightly behind him and he adjusted himself really well to score that. Quite similar to the chance that Jimenez had had in the first couple of minutes and failed to make any contact with. So yeah, it was it was really silky to look at. I, I think Wobi, I, I think is 
I'm very excited about him, and I, I think he's going to just keep getting better. And obviously, he is. He's you know he's scoring now. But um, it's something about his movement that makes me love. Tristan was mentioning his touch. Um, it's a bit like a you know a pogo stick at times. But I also find that he, it looks like he sort of clips it. It, it, it likes he, he sort of clicks his heels almost, clips his heels together sometimes when he takes the ball. It just he just looks very energetic, and I, I really do like the look of him. Um, what, what I'll probably move on to then, I, I think actually a special mention. <laughs> for the one you mentioned, the chance there that uh, it won't be made for Ke- well, didn't make for Kenny there, Tristan. I mean, Raúl Jiménez in this game. Um, I thought that was a really nice flick on from him. Probably his best contribution to the game, arguably. But I mean, wh- how more? Because <laughs> I mean, we'll come on to Willian in a minute. But we've got a problem because Willian became our top goal scorer last night. Um, with three goals. And b- behind him, you've got uh, Bobby Decadova-Reed with two, Carlos Vinicius with two, Uwobi with two, Gian Polinio with two, and, you know, all the rest are ones. And uh, there you got Raul Jimenez there. <laughs> I'm just... Um, any any word on him? has got two. Has he? I'm I'm goals. Goals. <laughs> oh, of course he does. Sorry, I just realised that. Yeah. Oh, God. But yeah, so, I mean, Raul Jimenez just... I mean, I don't know. Did, did, you, did anyone think that he looked like he was... Uh, he was fussed about playing his old team or being quite nah, reserved. I, we're almost getting to the point with Jimenez where we're like, oh, he's, he's made a really, really comfortable four yard pass. Let's like get really excited about it because he's, he's doing so little <laughs> yeah. that even the basics seem like amazing. It's, yeah, I, I don't know what's, I did. You look at him historically, there's obviously certainly been a player in there, but I, he just, offers so little um and i think that's that's the same with with, with all of the front three uh, that, that we you know have used this season i just there, there's just not anything there for me um I, and we need someone in in january I, I i think that's our biggest problem or or you try reed or someone up front and and, and see what happens <laughs> do, you, do you know what watching him and his last night reminded me of my my four-year-old son at the moment is in that mode of asking questions repeatedly but he takes an age to get them out, even though you know what he, he's trying to ask. But he's just going around the houses with it. And he's just not, it's like, you know, you know what he wants to do. He knows what he wants to do, but it's just not happening. And it's like, just, just do it. Just, yeah. That's, <laughs> oh, that's how I felt. Yeah. My I issue mean, with Jimenez is we, we're talking about a game where we had 60% possession. Hmm. We had 12 shots on goal and our centre forward had one and it was off target. That's what we're dealing with. Like you can't, you can't dress it up. Yes, there was a nice flick on, but in ninety minutes, is that all he's bringing to the table? Is a flick on. The amount of times we get the ball into areas. There was a point in the first half where we had Castagna, Iwobi, and Pereira working a triangle down the right hand side, and Raúl Jiménez is two yards away from them outside of the penalty area. Like what? What are you doing as a centre forward being in that space? We've got yeah. three players there working in position where we could potentially put a cross in, and you're nowhere near the box. I just. It's it's like, not oh, it's not worked. It's not worked. It's a shame. He's trying. I, I don't have anything against him, but it's not it's not going to happen. And I think this is it's, it's the, this, this conversation's come up a lot. And and he who shall not be named, you know, uh, it, 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 this is where I think there's other players. People have said, you know, why is such and such William? Why doesn't he look as good this year? And so, and I, I, you know, Mitrovic was binding a lot of that together. And it wasn't 100%. just people with Mitrovic are like. The finishing, great. You know, we had a striker that was finishing, but those runs he was making, that, that 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 the movement and stuff like that is is actually very clever. That was his finishing. Mitrovic could be quite erratic. He's brilliant in the air, but he could be quite erratic with his finishing sometimes. But actually, yeah. what his attributes that I, I I always thought were top tier were that movement and that ability to read the game and that ability to interlock with other players. And that's the thing for me that we're actually missing. Probably more than his goals is is yeah. it because it's it's negatively impacting another three or four players. You, you know, you look at the likes of you, you've mentioned him there, Luke Pereira. You know, doesn't look anywhere near the same player. Williams not having such a good season, and I think all of that is linked to the fact that we've we're, we're we've dropped so far back in the quality that they're playing off mm. that that it, it's taking 10, 15, 20 percent out of their own games. I mean, it's a presence it's... thing as well, isn't it? He. Mm. He scares defenders. They drop off a bit deeper. They two of them go to mark him as opposed to one. It just means there's space for other people. Like you said, Pereira operated in loads of space last season because Mitrovic occupied two centre halves, and now right. Jimenez barely occupies one. Well, yeah. I mean, it makes you 
hope that Muniz is back sooner because I don't. I definitely don't want Vinicius back on the pitch anytime soon. The man's completely insane at the moment. Um, but yeah, what are you going to say, Sam? Gonna... <laughs> no, I was just going to say just on on Jimenez quickly that like if you, if he can't get himself up for playing his former club, having finally sort of got the that monkey off his back in terms of scoring, like wh- when is it going to happen? I mean, I think we know the answer to that, that it's not. But it's just <sighs> it, it was disappointing. I think that we felt at least there was something there to maybe spur him on a bit more last night. And Especially know, after scoring thought, a goal, yeah. In, yeah, we put 18 there, yeah. crosses into the into the box last night and well, I don't know how many were even even close to, to fronting a goal. I mean, we Tristan mentioned Mitrovic's finishing, uh, which, you know, is a point. But <laughs> I'd like to talk about Willian now and, and his role on penalties. And I'll go straight back to you, Sam. How, how many... Where could we have finished last year? Do you think if if William was on penalties instead of Mitrovic? Well, yeah, maybe we'd be uh, <laughs> maybe using, about two our, or three using our, our, our passports this season if we had. Uh, it is a funny one. I saw a, a, a statistic last night that only Yaya Toure, Dimitar Berbatov, and Ruben Neves have a greater one hundred percent scoring record in the Premier League from penalties. William scored all seven of his wow. that he's taken. Um, and what I felt is I, I didn't think either of them were ever in doubt as he was standing over there. Watching Mitrovic take them last season, so almost every one you're thinking, oh, here we go. Yeah. Um, something's going to go wrong somehow. But it's just, you know, just Willian last night looked so cool, just knew exactly what he was going to do. Put one in one corner, the other in the other. And yeah, just even sort of in that pressure of in stoppage time for a, a really big win wasn't a problem. No, I mean, he's definitely the man for them now. I, I thought it might go to Pereira at one point, but I'm not sure. I can't mm. remember because Pereira scored a very nice penalty or two maybe last season. But I, I mean, Willian for me is just, um, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> you feel really confident. I think there was a little bit of, um, I don't know, a bit of anti-home crowd, Tristan, when everyone saw the last penalty go in saying that the cottage wasn't exactly electric uh, last night. Um, it was quite a weird atmosphere, would you say, at the cottage? It felt all, I mean... Going into maybe a topic about tourists and ticket prices now, but I yeah, mean, just I, what was your thoughts? I, I didn't think it was any different, really, to any other home game. I mean, I, I, I think there was a there was a lot of relief around the winner. Um, it wasn't yeah. quite like the Brentford last minute winner last year, so I think there was more relief than exhilaration. But I didn't think it was any particularly worse. Actually, I thought the crowd were a bit better first half because the team actually started. On the front, front foot, foot, and I think yeah. that probably helped. But yeah, we're not, we're not. I mean, it was, it was a, you know, very interesting last night where I'm sat. Um, the the kind of if if I drew a circle around me of about a hundred seats, I reckon fifty of them every week are different people, and I've I've long suspected that they they're probably touts that sell them, and different people come everywhere. And, and last night, all those seats were empty. I mean, I had empty seats all around me, and. In eight, 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 you don't think that's just people right. sending them back to the club when they realise they're sat near you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> could be, could be. But yeah, no, I, I think you know it's obvious that we've, we, you know, the club of are quite happy to to take that. And and last night it was, it was the first time I've really noticed. It's not the most glamorous game. It's a Monday night, um, and obviously Black the Friday sale didn't work. The tickets. The Black Friday sale did not work. No, no, did not, did not work. I think. Well, I think we're probably going to see a couple more. I'd, I'd, I'd anticipate that Forest is probably going to be quite similar. Oh God! I mean, I think. Uh, oh, go on, Sam. You feel like you're about to say something? No, I was just going to say, in terms of um, kind of some of the the criticism there's been about the crowd and the atmosphere and the reaction to the goal. I do wonder how much that that rather bizarre uh, article in the Guardian last week by John Bruin has fed into mm. that, that thinking it. slightly. Um, yeah, it's just seems to be that time of the season. For, is that the article where it said Brentford and QPR don't care about Fulham? Is that is that the one of the big yeah? yeah. <laughs> Fucking idiot! Oh god. Um, I think I'll move on really quickly before we go on to just a couple more points. Sarge, you were talking about I think it was you talking about Harrison Reed's performance. How, how do you feel he did without? And I'll bring this on to everyone else. How, how did we cope without uh, Polina this game? Would you say? It's it's always going to be different, isn't it? We have to set up differently if Palina's not in the team because he's the only one we have capable of playing that role single-handedly. I think that's what you saw first half. Kearney sat a lot deeper, almost alongside Harrison Reed in the first half, and then second half pushed way on ahead of him. 
Right. Um, I like Harrison Reed. He's a good player. I think he's the sort of player, though, again, that kind of he benefits from who's around him. And he's he's a better player when Palinia's there because it, it kind of covers up some of his deficiency. Sounds horrible, but... You know, the things that he's not quite as good at, Palina kind of plugs those gaps. And I think the difficulty Harrison Reed has now is, is I, I don't know that this Fulham team has a use for a Harrison Reed. I think mm. we're at a point where without a striker that is, you know, pulling others up around him, we need more from the midfield than what Harrison Reed gives us. I think that's why Wobi's been such a fresh breath of fresh air because he's been playing in that sort of role slightly deeper that sort of eight role but brings more going forward yeah he, he brings a goal threat he looks like things are going to happen I know not a lot has happened for us we've not scored a lot of goals but at least when a Wobie's on the ball you get that feeling that something's going to happen you don't really get that with Harrison Reed, and I think that's also maybe the issue that Sasha Lukic has at the moment as well in that he's a good controller of play but he doesn't get you on the edge of your seat he doesn't make you start to stand up and I think those two players are suffering a little bit at the moment because we're not getting enough elsewhere so we've needed more from that that role I've... Harrison Reed is going to be a good Fulham player for the next few years um, but I don't know exactly where he fits in this squad at the moment in the transition that we're in I, I would say we've. I think Lukic is a bit different I think I do feel a bit sorry for him. He hasn't really played when he's played for us in... I mean, obviously, with my background, I'd, I'd, I'd watched him quite a bit before he joined Fulham. And yeah. he's always traditionally been a more box-to-box eight. Or actually, he's been... If you look at his goal-scoring record as a 10, it's really good. It's like five goals in 20 games in, in Serie A. He's done quite well there. The one role he's never done well in, really, out of the three, is he has played there occasionally. But his he's, he's weakest of the three has been the six. And he's, he's, he's obviously played there pretty much every game for us. And then I think you've also got the fact that he's, he's, he's getting a couple of minutes at a time and not really getting a proper run in the team, which, which isn't going to... I mean, last night is a great example. It's a bit blood and thunder at the end. And, it, and, mm. and for a player like Lukic, that's not what you want to come on to. Going back to Reed, I'd actually say the what the one thing I I really noticed last night that I've never really noticed it be a huge problem before, but was he was very panicky on on the ball with his passing for for him. He doesn't that's not normally a problem with Reed, but there were there were he I, I counted by about forty minutes there were five fairly simple misplaced passes that had gone straight to Wolves players, right. whether that be you know, a ball coming to him, him having a bit of time, but not realising it and just banging it, you know, to a Wolves player or him just playing a bad pass. But it kept happening. And that that loose distribution is one thing that I haven't really ever seen from Reed before. So I, I, I'm i not sure why that happened, but it definitely had an impact on his performance. I thought Wolves did quite a, a good number on him, especially in the first half of, of mm. pressing sort of really high up. I, I was quite... I thought Huang played really well. Um, yeah just a couple yeah. of times sort of turned him completely. Um, but it, yeah, it's always going to be difficult coming in um, into that role when Pauliolino's absence. But the good thing is we've shown that we can win without him again. So after Everton on the opening day, so that's uh, a positive to take from it. Yeah. I, I think we'll, I, we've, we've talked really good analysis of the game. I think the last thing I'll just briefly mention, um, and it kind of relates to a view on to Liverpool. Um, you know, the VR decisions brought two talking points. We talked about how Vinicius is, like like I said, a complete live wire at the moment, and he's being linked with Brazilian club Palmeiras, I think. I, I think I'd like to see him go now, because I feel like he's going to... His luck is really running out for not for getting a red card, you know what I mean? But um, the, the other point is um, is Tim Ream and the foul, and we talked about how it was clumsy, but you said, all of you agreed it wasn't a yellow in your eyes. But uh, do you think it was um, the, the, the mistake by Ream the clumsiness by Reem is actually down to the fact that he's just hasn't got the pace he once had. And and because I looked at Calvin Bassey's performance and I th- I really see a player there who, first of all, I really, really like. And I feel like once he's actually in the position with his where he can use his strong foot, his left, and someone like Tosin next to him, it, do you think anyone that's a partnership that we could maybe experiment with for the Liverpool game? I think the tricky thing with it is is that Ream brings so much alongside his actual on-pitch performance as a right. leader of the team. And I look at that Fulham team at the moment, there's not 
there's not a lot of what you call natural leaders in it, especially with, with Mitrovic having left as well. Tom Kearney's not that sort of leader. He's a, he leads by example and he's, he's very good at it. But there's, there's not a lot of what I would call natural leaders in that team past Tim Ream and Bernd Leno, probably. Um, and I, I, I don't know that Ream's ever had the pace. I think where he's struggled before is when he's been asked to defend his, the edge of his penalty area and he ends up isolated one-on-one with people. Where he's done well for us and what Marco Silva's managed to do to sort of prolong his, his time at the top of the game is ask him to be more proactive in his defending defend higher up the line, recognise when danger is coming and snuff it out before it becomes a problem. Once he's in a position where he's in a foot race with someone, he's always struggled with that. You know, back when we came up under Parker, when we came up under Jukanovic, he's always struggled with defending on the edge of his own box. That's just never been his strength. And that was a situation he found himself in. Who's misplaced, um, was it a header? Was it Bassi tried to head it back to him? And that kind of put him in a bit of trouble uh, in the game as well. I, I think he had a tough time last night, but he had a tough time because of the two strikers he was up against. He was up against two hustle and bustle strikers who just like to run. Cunha and Huang are both runners. They're not they're not the most prolific, but they're just you know you're going to be in the game with them and they're the sorts of players that Reem has a hard time with. And for all of him having a hard time, their first goal was well worked, but that wasn't Reem's fault. He you know he wasn't really out of position or responsible for that. And he gives the penalty away, but kind of trying to atone for someone else's error. So while he didn't have his best performance, I don't think it was as bad as, as maybe it's, it's come across as. I do think there's been a general downturn in his performances this year, though I have to say. I think he was exceptional last year. I think he surprised a lot of people, you know, with, with how good he was. But I do, you know, I'm not sure I can blame that one on Mitrovic leaving as well. I'd like to blame it on the bastard but um i think we will we'll stick to the point in hand you know i think reem reem again is probably 10 15% off what he was producing last year um and uh, he uh, but but we knew that day was going to come you know i think he'll get worse he, you know he's not going to he's not going to improve at his age we've also been here before though when when he has been written off when he has been told that he yeah. can't play at this level and we've been proved wrong so who's to say that's not Going to happen. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're going to keep being proved wrong until he's sixty, Sam. So I think <laughs> ultimately, I think it's a problem that we've got a fit. You know, he's not going to be a fixture in the side for that much longer, and you know, we need to get that partnership right. I, I, I don't, Jamie. I, th- I think you know, going back to the very first question, I think it probably isn't a bad game to try that mm. partnership of Bassey and Tozin and, and and something a little bit different because it is a complete free hit. See how they get on, um, and 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 there's you know rather than ha- having a little bit of a toy with it in in a game that we're going to consider a lot more important, you know, a, f- a few days later against Forest, I think it, it, it makes sense to try it in a game like that. I do think, in terms of sort of supporter consensus, though, much like the the striker situation this season, the best option always seems to be the player who's. Who's not in the team currently? Yeah, yeah that's fair. Uh, enough, people yeah. suddenly seem to think that Tosin will be the answer to all of this. Where it's like Adama Traore is going to come back and save our season somehow when he's he's yeah. not saved anyone's season. I can't believe he's injured years. again. I thought he was. I thought he was fine. Now he's actually pulled another hamstring or something. I don't know. It's so silly. Um. Anyway, I think guys, what we'll do is we will call it a, a little break there, and then after this, we will. Start with a nice new feature of the pod. Don't go anywhere. Fulham. Welcome back. And now for a new feature for the pod, Favourite in Focus, where we ask supporters for their favourite Fulham players, matches, managers and memories. Now, each episode will centre on a different topic. And after Prince Willian's successful spot kicks on Monday night, we want to know about your favourite ever Fulham Penalty. Um, I'll go straight to Tristan and Luke first. And just what, when did Fulham hit the spot for you then? I'll go to you first, Mr. Sarge. Uh, so I, I couldn't think of like a specific penalty, but the one that stood out for me, I, I, my favourite Fulham penalty take was always Heider Helgerson. He was just so calm and collected the way he took them. And it was never that. I think he only took like four or five penalties for us. It felt like more, but he used to just roll them in and the keeper just 
either didn't move or just went completely the wrong way and realised they were going the wrong way before the ball even crossed the line and kind of stopped their effort to save it. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's so nice having watched William on Monday to have a player that steps up and you're confident they're going to score. Because whenever Heide Helgerson stepped up to take a penalty, I was just like, well, that's a goal. We're, we're sorted here. Yeah. I, I have the, I had that feeling with Ross McCormack for sure. Um, just uh, I I became a Fulham supporter quite quite late um, compared to everyone else, and um, I I I just loved every time that Ross McCormack stepped up to that spot. I would always just be completely confident, and he'd always just completely smash it into a top corner or bottom corner, and just with such absolute power. Um, to you, Tristan. Yeah, so I, I mean, in the same theme as 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 Luke in terms of a player that I just you never felt would miss, but. Going back, because um, I thought, you know, there's going to be some really obvious ones in the last 10, 15 years that people might go for. So I thought I'd go back to to the 90s, pretend I'm young again. Um, and <laughs> and we, had a, we had a centre-back, funnily enough, um, that used to just leather them, mostly down the middle. Um, but I, I think, Sam, you can keep me honest, but he, but he took a lot of penalties for us, pro- pro- probably well into double figures and only missed one which he actually ended up putting the rebound in at Chesterfield, but a guy called Mark Blake. Um, and and he scored a really important one for us in the Adams promotion season, home to Wigan, um, who, who obviously we were going for promotion with. Um, Wigan had grabbed a lead. Um, mm. and, and Mark Blake, I think 82nd minute, um, got got a penalty and, and, and loads of pressure on him and just slammed it down the middle. And, and, and it was... He was a taker that that you kind of Paul Moody was similar as well actually that if the keeper was going to get their hands on it they were probably going to end up in the back of the net with the ball because he just leathered it down the middle so yeah I'm I'm going with Mark Blake. The question is if uh, if Division Three had had VAR that day would that penalty have been given? Yeah, because from what I remember it was what, yeah Conroy <laughs> definitely bought one didn't he then. I mean, just going completely on a tangent there, I always remember we got a last-minute equaliser against Bournemouth in um, a game in 92-93. It was about a week after Bobby Moore died and there was a celebration for him. But yeah, we, we were 1-0 down at home and Simon Morgan just clearly dived for a penalty in the last minute. Gary Brazil scored it. But Morgan, as he got up from the challenge that wasn't a challenge, just winked at the Hammersmith end. And it oh, was love it. Funniest, funniest things I've ever seen. That's brilliant. I mean, uh, we've, got, we've got lots of contributions. Before I get to yours, Sam, I mean, there's there's obviously um, my fellow host, Matt Bone, who says some typical Ber- uh, Dimitar Berbatov coolness at Arsenal in the 3-3 draw there. He scored six out of six penalties for us in the Premier League. Yeah, thanks for that, Matt. And um, Danny, Dan's Smith, obviously the founder of this lovely enterprise, he says a rare success from the spot from Alexander Mitrovic when he scored against Peterborough to break Ivan Tony's championship goal-scoring record. Um, he's actually mentioned a few, but one actually that I really agree with, and I remember it just because it was just such a it was um, Norwood's penalty against uh, mm. Borough. Oh my god, the, just the absolute burger of it was brilliant. That was such a, was that, such that, a that's one of the games I regret not being at. Snap, uh, yeah. Yeah. I would love to have been there to celebrate that goal. What a great train home that would have been. A very long one, albeit, but still. Um, I'm trying to think. So what, who else have we got here? We've got some other really good. We've got from John Robertson, Charlie Buns, um, goalkeeper, Tony La- um, Tony Lange. Did I say that right? Tony, yeah, Tony yeah. Lange, yeah. Slotting home to seal the shootout victory against Brighton in the FA Cup second round replay in 1996. Um, Jane Blight says Kevin Locke at Portsmouth on New Year's Day 1985. Oh. A pressure a pressure penalty to equalise in the last minute after we had been 4-0 down at half time. Uh, there was a, there's a funny story with that one, Jay, Matt. We yeah, were actually 4-0 down at half time and people were... People were trying to get out, and they wouldn't open the gates to let people out. And we, yeah, we ended right. up scoring four in the second. It was Boxing Day. Yeah, we ended up scoring four in the second half of the last minute. Last some, minute pen. As if they knew what was going to happen. Like you don't want to. Yeah, leave. yeah, that's so funny. I got um, you got Alan Blackmore who says um, Tosh Chamberlain hit a rocket past Colin Withers of Birmingham in a two-one win in nineteen sixty-three. These are great. This is um, Alex Ross. Danny Murphy in the comeback win, of course, at Manchester City at the end of the great escape season. Total misery when Joe Hart had saved it, followed by the realisation that he pushed it back to Murphy, not least because it was hit so poorly in the first place. Uh, uh, Sam, before I mention any more, any ones for you? Uh, Similar to Tristan, I I have to go back to the 90s for mine. And like last night, I'm thinking about a player who scored twice from the penalty spot in the second half. At a game I was at, but 
neither penalty that I actually saw. So um, it was the anniversary this week. I saw Random F- Fulham had uh, posted the replay programme on Twitter. Uh, so we were drawn against non-league Ashford Town in the FA Cup. And the the game at their, I mean, ground is pushing it. Did you go, Tristan? Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. covered in mud for about a month after. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was essentially, it was a football pitch with a wooden fence around it <laughs> and then nothing else. It was just in this field, a, a quagmire of mud. And there's sort of these photographs of the Fulham players just sort of head to toe covered. But it didn't really sort of take into consideration that all the fans were as well because there was absolutely no protection. Brilliant. And I was there with my dad. I was only 15 at the time and, you know, we were pretty awful. I um, think 1-0 down at half time, and then they scored a second midway through the second half and the rain was coming down. It was cold. It was dark. It was just really muddy. It was like being sort of Glastonbury in a bad year. Yes. And uh, yeah. my, my dad had just had enough. My dad was always a, an early leaver. If he had an excuse to leave the game early, he would. Um, but I was, even at that age, like I was a stall. I wanted to stay to the end. But on that occasion, he said, come on, let's go. Dragged us out. And it, it was a really weird setup because it was in the middle of nowhere. Right. So you have to walk across about this, across this huge field to get onto, mm. not a main road, just a road to take you back into town. And we were crossing that and you kind of heard these, these cheers as you were getting further away from the pitch. You heard these, these cheers and then another cheer. And I think as a football fan, when you're sort of outside the ground, you kind of have this, this habit of being able to recognise what noises are. And it was like, well, that's a big cheer, but it's not a gold cheer. But that was yeah. a gold cheer. And then so eventually we got onto this road and we we hailed a taxi to get back into town. And the, the taxi driver had like local radio on which were covering the game. And it said Fulham have pulled it back to two all in the last 10 minutes, two Mickey Adams penalties. And at that point, like me and my dad started celebrating in the taxi, getting mud over this bloke's back seat, just going everywhere up the windows and stuff. And uh, yeah, so celebrating two penalties that I was within touching distance of, but um, I didn't actually see. So they're my favourite. Brilliant. And, and you, and go, go on, Tristan. No, I was just going to say because there were two penalties there. I was just wondering on a, on a slight side note: can anyone remember the last time that we were in a game with three penalties in? I know. Well, sorry, three penalties were scored because I know we had three in the game against Villa, didn't we? And I think it might have been three were missed. Um, we had a one all with Villa when uh, um, one Bell missed two and Andy Cole missed one in the same game. But I, I'm trying to think. I think the only one I can think of was a League Cup game against Charlton where Gary Brazil got two for us and 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 Carl Lieburn got one for them. But I, I mean, you will just turn this into a Gary Brazil podcast given half the chance. <laughs> but. Um, the, the Leicester at home last season in May. How many penalties were in that? They had two, oh, didn't they? Because yeah. Leno saved one. Did we have a penalty in that game? I think we might have done actually. My brain is saying yes, but I don't remember. I don't know that we did. I think. Just well, I know. So I know. I saw the statistic I saw last night was it's the second ever Premier League game to have three penalties awarded in the second half. Wow! The first, okay. for, first for twenty years, and I was looking up the last time that we scored two penalties yeah. in a Premier League game. And I think the last time that happened, remember when we beat Newcastle 5-2? Yeah. Dempsey got a hat-trick. So that was it. And talking about Ross McCormack, the last time I think we did it in any game was Middlesbrough when we beat them 4-3 on the final day and stopped them going up. Ah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I Penalty-tastic. Mean, penalty-tastic. And yeah, I just checked the... It was 5-3, obviously we know that. Um, James Madison scored a penalty and uh, from the result, I can't see... I, I think, obviously, we know that Bernd Leno saved one, so I imagine it was two pens that game, I think. That was a crazy game, that was. I think it was two pens. Oh, of course, we wouldn't have scored it anyway, would we? Well, no, that's exactly it. And I mixed it, was suspended, so... No, oh, right, we might have done then. We might have done. <laughs> and actually, last, sorry, I've missed one out from Stuart Lutz and Peter Ellis. Zoltan Gira against Juventus to put us in the ascendancy. Absolutely massive gargantuan 24 carat solid goal Hungarian balls, he said. That's, that's, <laughs> some of these comments are brilliant. So that's brilliant. So that come, concludes the new section. Congrats, everyone. And um, I think I was going to play some sort of dramatic music then, but it didn't happen. No, never mind. But anyway, it was, that was really good. I look forward to the next one. And uh, look, before we leave, lads, I want to just bring up another little topic. Um, a bit late to the game, this one. And we don't have to go on about it for ages. But I mean, it's the 10 
points that have been dedu- deducted by Everton. Obviously, that's that does us a bit of a favour with some breathing space, more so already with the result we've just had. But I, I would just like to know, argue, I'll go to you, Tristan, with this. Is this something that we should be panic panicking about? I mean, because they seem to be going for lots of clubs now. I think even with put a, a transfer for Jermaine Defoe with Tottenham and Portsmouth, is this something that could come back to bite us in the ass with this, do you think? I just don't really um, know. Not in the way that it has Everton, but I think, you know, there's there's, there's a lot going on with, with, with Premier League clubs being looked at. And the reason for that isn't... Everton is very different to any of the other cases that you hear of because it's a slam dunk. They've basically admitted through the the submitted accounts that they've failed the threshold for financial fair play. Where I think, you know, it could be a bit nervy for us and possibly some other clubs is that during the COVID years, which are still kind of in in the qualification of the the three-year rolling, there were certain things that were allowed to be discounted from the calculations of FFP that, that normally would be in them. And there are, you know, the clubs being looked into in terms of how they've classified certain expenses and, and where they've put them in the accounts and whether they should be disallowed from FFP or not. So I, I don't think it's, you know, for, for, for an organisation essentially that's lost £650 million pounds in what seven eight years I don't think we could ever write off the the possibility that there could be something lurking lurking away in the background via some auditors but Mm -hmm. um you know we we keep our fingers and and we wouldn't be alone in that I know you know Forest um Bournemouth would you 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 know also have have had accumulated loss at times that 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 could put and then obviously you've got the likes of Man City as well we know are being investigated so yeah it's not I'd be very surprised if it was solely Everton that uh, are going to be um, charged by the FA what that charge ends up being again it is going to depend on what the um, what the uh, if there is an FFP failure what that failure is Uh, I think Everton have just been unlucky because they've just outright failed the thresholds and that's why why it's been an easy you failed it. Here's your punishment. And uh, just going straight back to you, and uh, please others just contribute and interject whenever you want. In terms of, do you know? Because you obviously you're quite you're quite into FFP and know. Do, do you know how we're looking for expenditure in January and loans and, and such? Like, are we are we looking in a healthy position compared to you? Like, previously? yeah, we, sh- we 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 should be essentially. Um, you know what what was crippling for us for for a long time was the 2018 splurge and everything that came with that the amortization over the next few years that's all cleared out and obviously you know with the sale of Mitrovic that's that's pretty much all we'll we'll all go in as in-year profit um so I, I would imagine even without Polina being sold which I think is fairly likely um I, I think we should still have a, a reasonable amount to be able to go out and spend. If we went out and spent 50, 60 million on a couple of players, it, it wouldn't shock me and I wouldn't be massively concerned that we were going to end up in loads of trouble from doing it. And, and do you think it's likely, I'm, I'm sure others might join in in a minute, that Polina might be leaving in January or at the end of the season? I, I, I'd like to think he'll stay to the end of the season, but I've just got a real nagging in the back of my head that, I think he could go in January. Right. I certainly don't like these rumours that have started to emerge about him definitely going to Bayern in January and for a, a smaller fee that was initially agreed back in August. It, like, how how could we even get ourselves into that position if it's true? Yeah. Well, that, that part doesn't make sense to me, Sam. I mean, I, I can't... I cannot see any way why we would have agreed to give him a new deal... And agree, yeah, we'll let you go in January, but for yeah. less money than we've agreed. It, that none of that makes sense. So, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a contingency with him to say, look, if a bid comes in, if certain clubs come in in January, we'll let you go. That, that wouldn't shock me. Mm. But I can't imagine that we're going to be talking about less money than we agreed when he had a, you, you know, a, 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 an earlier contract. That doesn't make any sense. It's just that pest, Florian Plettenberg. <laughs> Bust who mm. just keeps on making room, saying that you know, like, oh, apparently we're going to reduce our fee 
lower than what's needed, twenty million less, because you know that's just what Bayern want. And like, apparently, no no negotiations have started between the two clubs. But I know that that's basically what's happened. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But you look at transfers like a, this Andre character that's apparently close with our deal with. Um, uh, Fluminense, Fluminense. I can never pronounce it right. But I mean, that makes you think that maybe, maybe Polina's going. I'm not too sure. It's just, it's, it's quite depressing talking about Polina leaving and actually downright boring because I feel like it's all we're ever, you know, worrying about at the moment. But I don't know. I, I, I could there maybe are, there is. There are a lot of central midfielders in the squad at the moment. So if we're bringing in another one, it does suggest someone's going. Yeah, that, that's the only thing that's kind of hovering in my mind. If if Andre's coming in. You know, we've already got Iwobi, Reed, and Lukic, Palina, Kearney, Pereira. Like that's a lot of bodies, and we're not in Europe. We, you know, we're we're not we're not playing a lot of games. Like, I don't think we would need to. The only thing that stands out is that Iwobi and Afcon, but it still seems excessive to sign another central midfielder if no one's leaving. That's the only thing that sits in my head at the moment about it. And and Andre's big money, right? If if it, if it was him, you know, you're talking thirty five million plus. It's, it's you know, it's a big outlay for another midfield. So yeah, I, I I'm with you. I think if that one comes in, then then someone's got to be leaving. And do we think this is finally a signing by the club, looking to the future and the prospect of making substantial profit on him? Because I think for too many <laughs> too many occurrences in the past, where we sign players who have absolutely no sell on fee. Mm. Um, yeah. Hopefully, Hopefully. I mean, that's Palina is going to be an example of that. If he does go, he's going to provide us with, you know, with a healthy profit. Mitrovic provided not, us not with according a to Florian Pettenberg. Yeah, Florian but fucking Pettenberg. <laughs> if it doesn't make sense, it's not true. Like that's that's yeah. my that's always my never underestimate Ali Mack. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah. I see it on Sky Sports. Jao Polina moves to Bayern Munich for a brat burst. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but surely the club that managed to sign Bernd Leno for three million pounds isn't going to then be yeah. so easy in negotiation no, to sell yeah. their prize asset for less than they would have got for him in the summer, just because they're trying to keep him happy, having also upped his pay for the last few months. It, none of it makes sense. It's if he's going, he's going for either the same fee. If they agreed to that fee before, they might agree to that fee again, and they just gave them the bump in pay to keep them happy, or slightly more. Like I don't see how we take less. Like, it, it makes no sense. I mean, the, the 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 bump in pay. I do wonder whether there was a slightly cynical, let's put on a show for the fans because you know we're not sure if the fans are going to be happy with all the crap that was coming out on social media around the time you know his his brother and that being idiots, and you know they wanted to stop any potential negativity towards the player for the next three, four months. So therefore this big contract thing, that's a possibility, I guess, but overall the balance of thinking, um, yeah, I'm with you, Luke, I think I'd, I'd be really shocked if, if, if we ended up with less money than, than we'd agreed three yeah. months ago. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I mean, I was going to move on to striker links, but I think we're running out a bit of time, lads. We don't want to go on this for too long. Um, I think what we can do, just really quickly before we all say goodbye to one another, is just with the look ahead to Liverpool, just how you, I mean, Trisha and I just already said that we think it's a bit of a free hit. Just your overriding thoughts in you know, 30, 40 seconds of what you think might happen this game. I mean, Sarge, do we expect like an entertaining game is going to be a loss, do you think? I don't really... Liverpool look very good at the moment. But then again, I mean, they don't look completely as relentless as some other teams this season in the top four. We've done quite well against them in recent years, to be fair. We've we've not done badly. We won up there under Scott Parker. We obviously got a point at home on the first day of last season. We ran them relatively close at their place last season as well. Like, I think, you know, we'll go up there and we'll compete. I think, you know, we'll 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 make a game of it, I think. I don't think we'll get completely rolled over. I, the problem we always have, again, is, you know, if, if you're going to go to Anfield and win the games, you need to be able to score goals. And yeah. I know we scored three on Monday, but two of them were penalties. So, um it's it's just a case of I'm not, I'm not sure we're going to have enough and, and they've got firepower to burn. So, yeah, I'm not confident we're going to come away with a result. What I would like is for us to be able to go in and put in a bit of performance. What we do need to do, I think, which is for sure, is we need to go and we need to make sure that we don't roll over the way we did in the first sort of 45, 50 minutes against Villa. Exactly. We need to I was go and make a game Villa. of it and just, 
just retain a little bit of momentum that we've built from this result to take into the Forest game because there's no point coming off the back of this win, getting steamrolled by Liverpool and then going into the Forest game, you know, flat on confidence again. So we just need to maintain a little bit of it by just, you know, just turning up, turning up really. Yeah. Two points from 10th as well. I just keep forgetting actually how big that game was. We just won. Um, Sorry guys, anything else you want to add? No, the only thing I'd I'd sort of say to follow up on Luke is, is, is again, yeah, you don't want to, I I mean, our goal difference doesn't look great, does it? If you, if you look at the teams around us, I think we're, we're, we're a few, few worse off on the goal difference. And what you don't want to do is go up and ship four or five. So I think that, that, that's almost the kind of damage limitation um, attitude. But yeah, I don't expect, I, I, I think, you know, I'd be happy if we, we come away 3-1 or something. I think that wouldn't be, or not happy, but it wouldn't be, you know, the end of the world. As long as Harvey Elliott doesn't score, I'm fine. Uh, just, mm, that's, yeah, that's, that's the 100%. main thing. All right. Well, guys, thank you very much. Thank you for joining me. It's been actually, it's been really fun, this part. I've really enjoyed it, especially with uh, three of you talking to me. So thank you very much, Luke. Thank you very much, Tristan. Thank you very much, Sam. And thank you very much to Dunlove for producing this show. If you like what you're here, please tell your friends about us. We'll be back next week with a reaction to Liverpool and a preview. Well, I can't remember, actually. I think we're doing a preview for two games. I don't know. We'll find out. But thank you very much for listening. If you like what we're here, tell your friends about us. And we will be back. Thank you. Bye. Fulham.